Greetings, South Church and Coastal. It is my pleasure to get to preach to you this weekend, and I get to do it from Yarmouth Wesleyan. Uh, this giant experiment we're doing, we have no idea how this is going to go, but I get to sit here and preach with you there. Uh, I will not be at Coastal this weekend. I will not be at South Church this weekend. But one of the things that I feel every weekend is that we are one family. Whether we are together under one roof, whether we are in one room together, that's not what builds our unity. And so last weekend, we celebrated 12 baptisms. And when I say we celebrated 12 baptisms, I don't mean we did. I mean we did. We got to see people baptized at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We heard about someone being baptized at South Church, and we heard of some people being baptized at Coastal Church, which means when anything happens in our family, we celebrate together. And so we don't know how this is going to go, but this fun little experiment where I get to share one message into three rooms this weekend, I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm hoping that God is going to speak through this as an experiment. Uh, we hope to hear your feedback, but we are really passionate about the unity. Uh, we don't all say the exact same things with our same giftings. We don't always sing the same songs. We don't always do the exact same programs between Yarmouth, Coastal, and South. But that's not what builds our unity. Our unity is around taking Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova in our unique giftings and wirings, congregations, and communities. And so uh, I hope you enjoy this morning. I hope we get to celebrate together. But what I found myself thinking about this past week were the people who got baptized. Now, I don't know if the baptism people are in the services this weekend at South and Coastal, but all week I could not stop thinking about the 12, and I'll be honest, especially or specifically the eight people who are baptized here at the church. Every single person who gets baptized always comes up with some goofy look on their face every time. Uh, nobody looks cool coming up out of the baptism waters, hairs going everywhere, waters falling off their face. Every photo is people looking unflattering, except that they're filled with joy. I have never seen a cranky person come up from the baptism waters. I have never seen someone look grouchy. There is a mark of joy. Now, some people are laughing. Some people have tears of joy. Some people lock eyes with family. But whether you are baptized here or there, there's always this water and hair flying, but joy every single time. What happens is you leave here feeling that emotion. So you go in the community and you're that obnoxious person. Every time somebody asks you what you did on the weekend, you're not hiding it. You're not ashamed. You're telling everybody, I got baptized at my church. I love my church. I love my pastor. I love this. I love that. And you're just out there announcing everything to everybody, whether they want to hear it or not, because you just can't hold it in. Then some of you are even more bold. You're writing Facebook posts. You've got videos and photos of you being baptized. You are preaching online. I don't mean that like you're preaching at people, but you are sharing the good news of people through Facebook. And this is just happening constantly. We've seen so many people get baptized the last couple of years, and we see these marks every time. But here's the deal. What I would like to say to all the baptism candidates, what I'd like to say to any of you who are listening, that joy and that excitement does not always last. What I almost want to do after a, bapt a, after a baptism, 
I almost want to take a business card out, write my number on it, and write the note, I'll see you in two years. And what I mean by that is not to be pessimistic, not to rain on their parade, but what happens is after 17 years of ministry myself, after being in the church my entire life, here's what I know to be true. That high that you are on, that spiritual excitement and passion and fervor doesn't always last. There's always a bit of a tip. Life has a way of hitting you. Life has a way of discouraging you. You find yourself sliding back, maybe into some old addictions that you thought for sure, once I get baptized, that's all going away. Maybe language that you thought you were done with starts to creep back into your mouth. Hope starts to fade. All these things that you thought, I'm never going to struggle again. It creeps back in. And so what happens is, the meetings that I have, I would say 99 to 1 are 99 people saying, Pastor, I'm discouraged. Pastor, I've lost my passion. I feel attacked. I feel beaten up. My spouse and I were not on the same page. I find myself acting in ways that I couldn't imagine myself doing. Remember when you baptized me, I was so full of life, and how did I end up here? And what happens is usually someone says in that conversation, what's wrong with me? Why is this happening to me? And what I always say to everybody is, this is kind of normal. There is an ebb and flow. There is a mountaintop and valley experience to all of our faith. And what I tell people is, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised by this. Don't be confused that the high you were on does not last and you feel like you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not strange. You're not weird. That is actually part of the journey. I say all that to say, as we hit the last I am statement, as we've been going through Jesus' seven statements about what he says, who he is, this is kind of the tone of the last one. As we read John chapter 15, there's almost this language of, hey, don't be confused. Don't be shocked with what I'm about to tell you. Now, the last I am statement flows out of the sixth one. I am, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and he doesn't stop preaching. He goes right in. Our chapter says 15. Of course, he didn't say, now that I want to go into chapter 15, uh, but he's still preaching. He's still doing this last discourse because in 24 hours, he's going to be betrayed and arrested. So it's kind of a, I'm about to leave you. Let me give you a final word. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is, my vi is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
And the Father has loved me, so, I, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. First glance reading that, there's a lot of language that sounds repetitive and turn a phrase and back and forth. But, but here's what you need to see when you step back from that passage. Jesus is saying, don't be confused. I'm about to leave. I'm about to be betrayed. I'm about to be arrested. I'm leaving the disciples. And the experience you're about to have, let me make, let me make it sense for you. Later in this verse here, he's going to say, the world's going to hate you. It hated me. Don't be shocked by this. So what I see happening here is Jesus speaking to a bunch of baptism candidates. I see Jesus speaking with a bunch of people from Southwest Nova who are saying, I'm trying to figure out the journey that I'm on and it's not always making sense to me. This, if I could say, is Jesus' pastoral session with each one of us. This is you booking an appointment with Jesus and saying, I'm confused by the journey that I'm on. Why does it feel like this? This is Jesus saying to you, let me share a few things with you. You're not weird. You're not that different. This is common. And the first thing Jesus would say to you, if you are trying to live the kingdom life, if you are trying to be a Christian, if you want to be a citizen of his kingdom, here's the deal. Jesus is the source. He says it 15 different ways. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you won't. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you don't love me, you won't keep my commands. There's this cause and effect the way he writes this. You stay glued to me and you will bear fruit. If you don't, you won't. Now what happens is when you read that, is that it sounds so easy. And while I will say it's not easy, it's not complicated. It's not always easy to abide in Christ or remain in Christ as the source of the kingdom life, but it's not complicated. And what we tend to do is we complicate what it means to stay abiding in Christ. And so what we do is we fill our life with Bible and prayer and church programs and church services and podcasts and YouTube videos and this favorite preacher and this favorite person on social media. And we get overwhelmed. And if we're not careful, we can do all those things and have it not be connected to the source. So I don't know what you do most evenings, but I tend to plug my device in before I go to bed. And I could have bought a vine and a branch in here, but I'm not going to. And so here's what I find. I have taken my phone and plugged it into this end every night. Now what happens is the wife whom I love will often mess around in the room for which this is plugged into, and she will want her essential oils doing all the weird things they do in our kitchen. She will come along and not unplug this, but unplug this. I will come down to the morning to find my phone plugged into this and this into nothing. This is great, but it's useless without this. This is the source. And there are people who are living their Christian life plugged into the church, that's good. Plugged into the Bible, that's fantastic. Prayer, their pastor, podcast, awesome. 
but they forgot to plug into Jesus. And what happens is when you plug into all these things and forget the source, you feel like my phone in the morning, 10% battery. There's something happening, but, but I, read, I read my Bible every day. The Bible's not the goal, Jesus is. But I went to church every Sunday. Church isn't the goal, Jesus is. And so we read this passage and it feels so simple. And I understand what it's like, it doesn't feel that way. Maybe you need to realize, I like these things and that's great. Those are tools. This is the source. And so what happens is we go to church and we say, Jesus, I need you to meet me in this sermon. Jesus, I need you to meet me in this podcast. Meet me in my scriptures. Meet me in my prayers. Or if you're not doing any of that stuff, you're going for a walk. Jesus, go for this walk with me. Jesus, I'm sitting waiting for my doctor's appointment. Sit and wait with me. Speak to me. Have my undivided attention because I want to be plugged into you and all of the other things will flow out of the source of kingdom living. So Jesus would say, take a deep breath. If you want to bear much fruit, it's me. Let all of the things flow out of me. The second thing he would say to people who are feeling this, like, I don't know how to live this Christian life. The second thing he would say is, expect to be pruned. Now, most of us in our culture do not like pain. We try to stack our life for smooth sailing, no friction. We don't want pain. And the problem is we tend to confuse like suffering with good pain. We tend to confuse things that are hurtful with things that create pain for our growth. And so what he says in verse four, uh, sorry, in verse three, is that I'm going to prune whether you bear fruit or not. There's this commitment from God to say, I will do everything I can to help produce fruit in you. If you're not producing fruit, I'm going to prune you to help jumpstart new growth. And if you are producing some fruit, I'm still going to prune you so you can produce more fruit. Now, when we first think of pruning difficult, painful things that make us grow, we tend to think of storms, trials, um, persecution. That's not pruning. I think what we need to be careful of is saying, I'm going through a difficult season. God must be pruning you or me. That, the, the season, the storm, the trial may be the thing, but what gets revealed to us in the storm is where God does the pruning. So this past two years is not from God. I don't believe God set up and orchestrated the last two years. That is a storm as a result of living in a fallen and broken world. But what gets revealed to me that I am impatient, that I want to be in control, that I am selfish, all these things are being revealed. And then God starts pruning away the things that are not of him, the things that don't uh, belong in his kingdom that showed up as a result of the storm. So you might say, my marriage is unhealthy. This is just, must be God pruning me. No, the marriage being unhealthy may be an unfortunate result of living in a sinful world. How you respond to it and the things that come up inside you, God may prune that to better position you to handle the storm you're in. And so he says, I'm, I'm going to prune. I'm going to trim. I'm going to do these things. And what our job is, is to finally stop asking, forgive me, the pointless question. Why, God? Why am I going through this? Why did you do this to me? 
I've never met somebody where that was a helpful question. What tends to be much more helpful is what God? Why you're going through the storm may be a mystery this side of heaven. It may just be a result of sin in the fall. But to ask God, what? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to do in my marriage? What are you trying to show me in my finances? What are you trying to show me in my thought life? What is it that you want to prune or do a work on that is being revealed or the cause of this thing I'm in? So you may not like the thing you're in, and I understand. What an opportunity for the gardener to come along and do a beautiful work. It may hurt and it may pinch at times, but because he's good, you can rest and know he is doing it to produce more fruit in my life. The third thing that Pastor Jesus would say, if you're sitting in front of him saying, I just, I'm finding this life to be very frustrating. I'm finding the ups and downs. One of the things I think he would press in and say is, we must participate. He says he's the true vine. He says that he's going to prune. There's a lot of Jesus-oriented action. But the third thing we notice is how many times Jesus says, I will abide in you, you abide in me. I will remain with you, you remain with me. I will abide with you, let my words rest in you as you rest in my love. There's this back and forth that I will do this part. I am the one that said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. But what he's saying is, don't leave me. That we actually do this walk together. And Jesus is saying, I will do my part as the vine. Do your part to stay plugged into me. This is where the, the analogy breaks down a little bit. Anytime you have a metaphor, anytime you use an illustration as Jesus is doing, it's, it's a metaphor. When I look at my trees in the yard, they don't have a will. They don't, the, the, the branches don't have a conscious thought to stay, I better stay plugged into this tree. It's just happening. But for you and I, we have a will. We get to participate in what God is doing in the kingdom. And so the question for you and I is, are the things that I'm doing enhancing or hindering my connection to the source? It requires us to say, are the things that I participate in, the media that I watch, the friends and social circles that I have, are these enhancing my love for Christ? Are these hindering my love for Christ? And my suspicion is, if you did a brief inventory of your week, you would see some things that when you participate in them, it, it helps you abide in Christ. I, I was saying to someone before I recorded this, I had the worship music cranked on this morning. I was enjoying my morning, having breakfast, and it was enhancing my affections for Christ. But not all music does that. Certain movies I watch may enhance my affections for Christ while others may deteriorate it. And so it requires us to step back on our time and our week and say, where am I plugging into the vine? Where am I abiding? We call them spiritual disciplines a lot of times. And there's no perfect list of disciplines, but these are behaviors we do that help serve the relationship. So here's the thing. We look back over seven different statements of what Jesus said, here's who I am. I know who I am. I know what I came to do, and I offer this 
as access to the kingdom. I offer this as the keys to the kingdom. Or here today, if you want to live the kingdom life, it may not always be easy, but it is pretty simple and I offer it. What I want to leave you with is this to wrap off the entire series. Jesus knows who he is. That's not the question. The question for me and for you today is this question. Who is Jesus to me?